You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. And so we planned it out so that I wouldn't be more than halfway through my pregnancy if we were to happen to get pregnant on the first try. And that's exactly what happened, which put me at 19 weeks and one day on race day. Whoops, that starts forward, forward, forward. Hello, my name is Nicole Pinto. I am a runner and I am nine months pregnant. And I am Cherie Louise Turner, and you are listening to Strides Forward, the podcast where we share stories about running told by women. And in this episode, we're telling the story of Nicole's running journey through pregnancy, specifically through running the Boston Marathon. And we did indeed catch up with her just before she gave birth to her beautiful baby girl. Nicole's name and running journey will be very familiar to you if you listen to our Roads to Boston series. She was one of our featured runners. What you may also remember from that Roads to Boston series is that none of us knew that Nicole was pregnant when she was training for Boston. Because as you'll hear in this episode, Nicole kept the news of her pregnancy to herself until after the marathon. And it prompted me to want to go back and get the whole story. And this is going to be the first of two episodes. We're going to do a follow-up once Nicole has returned to running to learn about her postpartum athletic journey. For now, though, we're going back to mid-2021 when this pregnancy journey began. So I found out I was pregnant at the end of June and had already been accepted into Boston, which was going to be October 11th. And I was like, all right, cool. So it was super exciting and I was a little nervous because now we have a big unknown. How am I going to feel throughout the next 19 weeks to train for this race? And I looked into running a marathon pregnant and different experiences from women just to kind of see how they managed and how they, you know, went through their training I also did a little stalker research on Instagram and looked for women who had run pregnant, um, in particular Boston. And so I reached out to about five or six women who I found on Instagram and I asked them what their experience was like, um, how they felt, how they trained, just to kind of get an idea, different perspectives since every pregnancy is so different. And then There were so many variables, you know, as far as age, as far as how much you're working in addition to being pregnant, whether you felt good for your entire pregnancy or there were weeks where you felt terrible and you really didn't get the train. Just I just really wanted to have a good understanding of, you know, what obstacles might lie ahead for me and how I would potentially overcome them if I did face them.
my my only goal at the time was to be able to maintain a certain amount of miles at a comfortable pace, doing a couple of harder, faster runs as tolerated. You know, I, I just knew I needed to listen to my body. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. There was just very little pressure. It was kind of a weight off my shoulders in a way because I'm so used to following a a strict training plan. And I'm one of those people, if I miss a run, I'm really hard on myself. And in this case, it's like, well, if I don't feel good, I'm not going to run that day. I don't have to hit a certain pace. It's all about listening to my body and just to build mileage up to a point and then just kind of maintain just enough to get through a 26.2 mile run at a decent pace um, with a baby. Nicole was not embarking on this journey alone, of course. Key among those by her side was her husband. Oh, he has always been so supportive. You know, everyone always would ask, you know, but what is, his name's Claudio, what does Claudio think, you know? And I'm like, he thinks it's fine because he knows me. And so he knows that I'm very in tune with my body and, you know, I wouldn't do something if I didn't feel comfortable or I wasn't feeling okay. So throughout this whole journey, he's been so supportive and he was so proud and so excited. And I don't think I would have been able to do this process without him and his support just throughout all of the training. So um, I'm really grateful to have him and you know, grateful for his encouragement. Claudio was there with encouragement and support, and as with any pregnancy, the OBGYN was there to keep regular track of how things were progressing. So every four weeks, we had these big scans and different lab work and everything done to ensure that baby's fine, I'm fine, and there was never any, any concerns. I was never at risk for anything, uh, so... I had the green light the whole time because of that. My OB was totally fine. She's like, you've been running for a long time. You know your body. Go for it. Have fun. And it's that fun part that was very key to Nicole's running journey because a lot of the rest of her time is spent in some very intense situations. So I'm a cardiovascular perfusionist. So primarily what we do is run the heart-lung machine and open-heart surgery. So in order to work on the heart, we have to stop it. But in order to stop the heart, you need blood flow to live. So uh, we put the patients on what we call cardiopulmonary bypass, which is the heart-lung machine. We're draining the blood out of the heart into this machine, which pumps it through an oxygenator. So that's where the oxygen's coming from, since the lungs have to be deflated to see the heart because they're in front of it. And then we send it back. So it's a continuous cycle. So we manage the blood pressure, the patient's temperature, their electrolytes. Basically, we're taking over the function of the heart and lungs while both are at a standstill during the surgery. It can be labor intensive in the ICU. We do a lot of transplants. I work at the largest heart transplant center in the country. So we're quite busy. And I think that the marathons, they help me get through work. It's been probably one of the biggest perks of running as well as it's definitely a way to check out and 
you know, just be in my own headspace without the world interacting with me for a moment. Because in some of these emergency cases, there's a million things going on. Your reaction time has to be on point. And, you know, then just getting home after a long, stressful day and going for a run, it's like rejuvenation. All right, what's tomorrow got to throw at me, you know? So it's a high stress job, but, you know, the between the two, it's the perfect balance, honestly. Nicole continued to be able to balance the long, intense work at the hospital with the stress-relieving time out running. And she drew confidence from her research and understanding of how the body works. Just from being in the health profession in general, I was definitely more aware of uh, the changes that occur uh, physiologically. So knowing that my blood volume was going to increase, I definitely knew that You know, my heart rate was going to naturally become a little bit higher to pump the extra volume. So a lot of my training where I used to look at my heart rate to see if I was overexerting myself was kind of out of the window, if that makes sense, because my heart rate is going to be higher. It's working harder, not only because I'm running, but because I'm providing blood flow to the placenta, which is nourishing, you know, a fetus. So that initially, you know, my, I would say the first six weeks or so, my heart rate would get so high um, quickly. And by so high, probably, I mean, not crazy, but probably like 160, 170. Normally I'm in the 150s. So that made me a little nervous, but it, it settled out. So I knew not to panic over that because I understood what was going on. And I definitely was mindful of my breathing. If I ever felt like I was short of breath, I just kind of slowed down a little bit. If I was running easy, so easy being whatever felt good where I wasn't breathing too heavy. Because my easy pre-pregnancy versus pregnancy was going to be different. And I understood that. So it was just, okay, how am I breathing Am I able to have a conversation? You know, if I am, I'm doing good. Unless I was doing some type of interval work, that was where I started. Aside from that, you know, just, of course, making sure I wasn't feeling lightheaded, that I just felt good. You know, if there was anything that if I felt a pain somewhere, if I felt a cramp, if I felt like I was working too hard, if it was just an off day and I just didn't feel like it, I just wouldn't do it. Um, there weren't many of those days, but there, there was no shame in, you know what, I'm going to take a rest day because rest is just as important. I was also very aware of if I was sweating a lot. So a, a bulk of the training was done in the summertime. And so I, instead of having, you know, a water bottle in the car for when I got back, I actually wore a camel back and I would keep a, a liter of water on me. So I would just keep drinking water. It's so important to stay hydrated. This is not the time to lose volume because that's your amniotic fluid and that's where your fetus is. So I knew it was very important to keep that volume on board because that's the first place you're going to lose it from, which is not ideal. So lots of water. I feel like that helped significantly. And most of the time during my long runs, before 
I would go for a long run. So anywhere from 14 to 20 miles. I usually don't eat before. That's just kind of how I've always done it. I'd have a cup of coffee, go for my long run, come back and have a big breakfast. In this case, I didn't take that risk because I knew that I was carrying extra weight, burning more calories, and I needed that fuel, whether I wanted to eat or not. So I definitely was eating more and fueling more. Normally, I would take a gel or two every, every hour or so. In this case, on my long runs, it would be every 45 minutes. I expected uh, running to feel a little bit harder, and it did at times. I think initially when I, in the very beginning, as my body was adjusting and there were the bigger changes were happening, I felt like I was a little bit more short of breath and you know that concerned me a little bit because it was just the very beginning and beginning I mean like the first one or two months and so I was worried about oh man if things keep going this way what's it going to look like right before you know the month before race week and luckily that was just a transitional period and I actually still had a really successful training. Uh, I remember I ran a 10K at, I think I was 12 weeks. And I, I mean, it went really well. I also ran a 5K that went really well. So those were big confidence boosters. And, you know, it wasn't to PR. It was just to push myself comfortably to see kind of where I was. And then on the flip side, I expected to have some days of nausea and morning sickness and just not really feeling great. And that really never happened. I never experienced any morning sickness um, or any extreme fatigue. I was still working 50 to 60 hours a week and still able to get out and run 30 to 40 miles. I think I peaked at 50 miles and I was really happy with that. As great as everything was going, Nicole, like we mentioned up top, was very mindful of spreading her pregnancy news. It really wasn't until after the marathon that I announced that I was pregnant. I didn't tell anyone. No, not, nothing on social media. You know, my family knew, my husband's family, of course, um, and people I was close to. And... Probably people at work who actually saw me started to notice I had a little bit of a belly, which really wasn't until like two to three weeks before, you know, leading up to the marathon. And I was just like, look, you know, not a lot of people know. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to run the marathon and then I'm going to tell everyone, you know, mainly because there were a few people who did question, you know, are you sure that's okay? Are you sure that's okay for your baby? You know, is that smart? And so I get it, you know, people will ask all kinds of questions and it's just not a common thing. So I knew that going into this, that that's just going to be part of it. You know, the feedback that I get, I, I get their concern, but at the same time, it also made me feel like, all right, so you really think that I love running to the point where I would risk my health or my child's health. And, you know, that's just people not really understanding how the body works. And us, if you go back 20, 30 years, where we told women, you know, you can't run, 
you know, you can't run pregnant. When you're pregnant, you need to be on bed rest. You need to just not do anything. Don't lift anything. Don't go to work. And those days are over. It's all about, are you at risk? If not, what are you doing? Listening to your body. And that was something that I also was really hoping to promote after the marathon is to show like, look, you know, we're capable of so much more. Being pregnant is not a disability. It's maybe not, maybe not everyone will run a marathon pregnant or should, but you can definitely keep up with the activities you have been doing the whole time, as long as you don't have any risk factors. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Your life doesn't end when you become pregnant. You just have to modify and be smart about it. Nicole carried on with her training trouble-free, modifying as she needed to and listening to her body. And throughout the process, she was supported by her husband, checking in with her doctor. And then, finally, it was time to run a marathon. Then it was race week, and we were flying to Boston, and it was just such a surreal experience. You know, me and my husband and my little bump. And uh, I, it was just one, it was hard to visualize running this marathon because it had been two years with COVID. It had been two years since I had run a marathon. And now to do it, you know, in a different state physically, that was a, it was a, an all a whole new experience running Boston for the first time, running Boston pregnant. And, you know, I just really went out there and I was like, all right, we're, we're going to go. We're going to take this easy. I didn't have, well, I would like to say I didn't have a plan. For most of my training, I didn't have a plan until probably the month before. And I was like, all right, I just want to run sub four, at least just sub four, you know, because I'm just a type A person who needs some type of goal, some type of pace to kind of stay in line with. Otherwise, you know, I, I just, I needed some guidance. So at that point I was like, okay, so my goal was just under four hours and really take it in and enjoy it. For the first time, running a marathon without a super tight goal where I could just really look at the crowd and interact with them and just not have any pressure. And then of course, the other thing about pregnancy is the need to use the bathroom. That's the one thing I forgot. So that was my other fear was, okay, how many times am I gonna have to stop to use the bathroom on this run? You know, is that gonna throw off my performance if I stop? Anyway, I didn't have to use the bathroom during the race. It's a miracle. And it did feel different. So there's quite a few hills. So I definitely felt the impact more than I normally would have in my abdomen, not in a painful way, but just the presence of it, not having that before. So I was aware of that and I just took it one. I was like, all right, let's just get to the halfway point, see how I feel. If I'm not feeling great, maybe I'll walk for a little bit. And you know, I just kept going. And of course, I did take some walk breaks towards the end, you know, after the Newton Hills, I was like, this is, yep, this is everything that I was told about. 
And so I was looking at my watch and just doing the math. And I was like, all right, I got a nice little buffer. I'll walk a little bit here. Someone on the side gave me like a bottle of water. And it was just really an awesome experience. I had a tank top on. On the front, it said I BQ'd for two. And then on the back, it said baby on board. So with that, and with like little baby footprints. And uh, so I got a lot of support from the other runners. Like, congratulations, mama. Good job. You're doing great out there, which was super helpful. And there were quite a few other moms out there, mom to bees, probably about six or so. And it was, uh, it was so exciting, yes, from, you know, anywhere from 14 weeks to I think one woman was 26 weeks pregnant. So that was super inspiring and motivating as well. I was not the only one. And then in addition to that, there were several women who told me that they had run marathons in the past pregnant and that their child is now this old and now runs. And it was just like, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, it was just the community. I mean, that's just a whole nother level. There was the community of runners and then there was just this whole other mom community and I was like this is where I belong this is perfect this is great you know this makes me so happy I didn't expect there to be so many other women because you don't hear that much about women running marathons and this and that at least not without a lot of judgment Uh, I'll never forget how amazing it was and to be out there and to feel good and to see the sit-go sign and realize, oh my God, this is really happening. I'm going to finish this race. It was surreal. I mean, I definitely got tears in my eyes at that point. At that point, I was, you know, I was struggling. I was ready to be done, but also knew that this was just also the last mile and this was it and it would be over. There's nothing like turning onto Boylston Street and and crossing the finish line was unbelievable. Yeah, I I really had to take some time to reflect afterwards to realize that it was a huge accomplishment, that it was one of those once-in-a-lifetime situations in a way. Because it's not really something you can plan. It's not really something you have control over how you're going to feel, if you'll be able to do it. Yeah, it was pretty epic. Definitely my most memorable, by far, marathon. You know, just thinking to myself, not I did it, but we did it, you know. And this is a story that, you know, I I dreamt about for a while and look forward to sharing with my daughter, you know, and she's old enough to, to understand what happened, that, you know, she was in mommy's belly when she crossed the finish line in Boston for the first time. And She was a part of that. It'll be a few years before Nicole can share this story with her daughter. When that day comes, boy, is that going to be a good one. What an incredible story to create with your child, even before they're born. Congratulations to Nicole on starting her family and being so empowered and to finishing the Boston Marathon. I mean, all of this is just incredible. 
And also for demonstrating what women are capable of. So thank you, Nicole, on that front and also for sharing your story. Putting these stories out in public is how we empower each other and ourselves. And I'm really looking forward to following up with her later in the year to see how her running journey progresses. She plans to run a half marathon in November and we'll be catching up with her around that time to find out what her postpartum running journey looks like. If you want to hear Nicole's entire running story, how she got started, how she got into marathoning, and how she earned her entry into the Boston Marathon, you can go back and listen to our Roads to Boston series, where we followed nine women to the start of the 2021 Boston Marathon, and we tell the story all the way through the finish of that race. I also want to give you a heads up to stay tuned past the credits to hear a little bit more from Nicole about her post-marathon visit to the doctor and some of her reflections on pregnancy and being athletic. I think you'll want to stick around for that. If you want to keep up with Nicole outside of this podcast, you can follow her on Instagram. She's at runner underscore Nick. Of course, I will have that in the show notes, so you can just go there. And if you want to keep up with Strides Forward, we are always at Strides Forward. We're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook. Also, please subscribe and please share the podcast with a friend. Word of mouth is what helps us grow. And we are always really thankful for that kind of support. It really is a great gift to us. And as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I am... Truly, truly grateful that you are here. Yeah, so thank you. And, of course, I do not make this show by myself. Cormac O'Regan does all of the music and the sound design for every single episode, and he does that from his studio in Cork, Ireland. April Mariner of Bonfire Collaborative does all the design work for the show, the website, the merch, the social media, all of it. And April comes to you from Truckee, California, and you can find her at bonfirecollaborative.com. And yes, I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am the host and producer of Strides Forward, and I am, as always, coming to you from a closet in Somerville, Massachusetts. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, we all wish you many healthy, joyful Strides Forward. And now... I'm going to let Nicole take us out. So the big scan, the anatomy scan, they call it, which is generally where people find out the sex of their baby and look at all the different organ systems. And you're making sure that, you know, everything's, you know, work in working order, good blood flow. Um, That was scheduled at 20 weeks. Well, that was the week after the marathon. So when we got back from the race and went to this appointment, my OB came in and she was just like, I just want to make sure your cervix looks okay and your volume. And I was like, wait a minute, was there a concern about this before the race that no one mentioned to me? And she's like, no, 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 I just want to see, you know, because she hasn't had a patient who has run a marathon, you know, at that point in their pregnancy. So it's such an unknown for them. They're not used to seeing that and they just you know, were like hovering over the ultrasound images and they really wanted to see what things looked like after running a marathon. Everything was perfectly fine. So I think that one, it's good data for them, right? For two reasons. Well, in my, in my um, position, especially, there were two things that would categorize me as being high risk that 
was brought up later one. So I was 36, so over 35, and it being my first child, and also being African-American, just from the pure fact of the likelihood of developing gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which, you know, being so active, like not nowhere near any of those parameters. So I think it was great in a lot of ways because of the marathon and those two variables showing that you know, generalization doesn't really work for everyone. Like there is a generalization. Yes, err on the side of caution. But also, I think it's important to listen to your patients, know their history, know what they've been doing, and not put them into that box just because. So that was great from, you know, a patient standpoint. From a medical standpoint, I totally get it too. And also being in the field, have a way of communicating with them and saying, look, I get how this works, but this is what's going on here. Unless there's something of concern, uh, I should be able to continue on with my normal activities, but not overexert myself or do more than I was doing to begin with at the start of my pregnancy. And so that's what we had agreed on. And I think that in time, It will become a more common thing to see women running marathons, swimming, doing whatever, maybe an Ironman. Who knows? If that's what they've been doing, why not? That's what they're used to. That's not something you go out and say, all right, I'm pregnant and uh, I think I'm going to start trail running. Like it doesn't work that way. But if you had been, you just kind of maintain that current level of activity as long as you're not high risk and as long as you feel good. And yeah, you, you're listening to your body. That's the big thing. No one knows your body better than you. I don't care how much experience any of the physicians have or whatever. The, the takeaway is, you know your body better than anyone. You have to advocate for yourself. And I hope that it does show that other women too, that, you know, this is possible. You do have to make modifications and things do change, but life is not over you know, just because you're growing a life. When you have a kid, you're going to be busier and this and that. But I think it's still important to not lose yourself in that. And, you know, just kind of bring everything together. That's what I wanted to do. And I'm so glad that everything worked out the way it did. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of my proudest moments. Hear Her Sports is a podcast for everyone who loves stories by and about women striving to improve and make a difference in their lives. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery, a former professional cyclist. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in the business of sport through a thoughtful conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. My guests and I explore the glorious and frustrating issues in sports, history, equity, training, nutrition, and so much more. Join us for inspiration, for community, and for love of being a strong athletic woman.